0: In this episode, Monty Hilleman, Vice President of Environmental Resiliency, Compliance, and Investment at Sustainable Investment Group, talks to FNC reporter Brian Johnson. Hilliman talks about his work with SIG, green financing, and past projects with the St. Paul Port Authority.
1: All right. Pleased to be joined with Monty Hilleman, a uh, familiar name and face to people in the Twin Cities development community. Uh, spent two decades or nearly two decades with the St. Paul Port Authority and is currently the leader of Climate Investment Solutions Department at the Sustainable Investment Group, where he oversees market-based strategies to finance decarbonization efforts. Um, So, Monty, um, thanks for joining me. How are you doing today? Good,
0: good, good. Thanks for the opportunity to chat with you, Brian.
1: Absolutely. Well, I just... Gave a very brief introduction there to what you're doing um, with the uh, Sustainable Investment Group. Wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the Sustainable Investment Group, its mission, and kind of what your role is within that organization.
0: Sure thing. Uh, Sustainable Investment Group, SIG, uh, was, uh, I was a client of theirs actually. Uh and historically knew them uh as a lead consultant, a green building consultant that specialized in getting buildings certified. Um, I was on the board of the US Green Building Council with Asa Posner from SIG, uh, for a number of years. Uh, got to know him well and brought him on to be our lead consultant to certify the Port Authority's new headquarters space. I was responsible for the design and build out of that space in Treasure Island Center. Um Lead. We believe lead platinum certification is forthcoming, um, and they also uh, helped us get pre-certified lead platinum lead for communities platinum for the entire Hillcrest site. Now the heights. Um, so I knew uh, these folks as a sustainability consultant, a lead consultant, and uh, started talking to ASA several months ago. Um, and he said, uh, "You know, our ESG and our decarbonization team could probably use some help." And I was like, "What? What do you mean, ESG team, decarbonization team? How did I not know these things existed?" Um, and so they do have uh We do have a fairly large uh, ESG team. We serve as the back office ESG staff or department for some of the largest portfolios in the country. Pines uh, Rockefeller Group. Uh, S.L. Green, the largest landlord in New York City, a um, bunch of folks. We do all the reporting to the international ESG frameworks, uh, the GRASBs, the CDPs, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, we do data acquisition, uh, uh, all the local law ordinance. Uh, you know, Local law 97 in New York is starting to come through with some heavy fines. Uh, we're hearing some fines out in Denver that are starting to look pretty aggressive for those that aren't leaning into decarbonization. Um, So uh, we have an engineering team that does uh, modeling, energy modeling, energy audits, commissioning, retro commissioning, um, all the sort of green engineering stuff. And what we realized when we started talking was SIG's team is very adept, about 50 people around the country uh, at telling you what you could do to make a building green, uh, how you would do it, uh, how much it would cost you, and what you might save. But that was about as far as they could go. Um, and I was at a point in my career where I was seeing the writing on the wall uh, related to my past job, as you mentioned, at the St. Paul Port Authority. Um, there are some very high uh, sustainability goals for the Heights, and including uh, all buildings being decarbonized, all electric, net zero buildings. And we were transacting land this spring. Uh, I was getting uh, a little nervous that as those first transactions started happening and people started getting cost estimates, they ultimately were going to come back to me and say, what What are you talking about? Uh, how are we ever going to pay for this? Um, and I was getting, I have been getting pretty smart about the Inflation Reduction Act over the last couple of years now, um, and really realized what we needed, what was missing in the marketplace were some pretty conventional financing tools, uh, 10-year cash flows, pro formas, et cetera, um, and some associated financial metrics that show people how to use the inflation reduction. It's not enough anymore to talk about what it is. We've been talking about that for 18 months, and it's a little frustrating. It's like, what does it look like in a pro forma? How do you finance it? What's the bank think? What does the appraiser think? Um, really getting into the developer's role of implementing and monetizing. So we talk about stack model and monetize. And it was clear to me that uh, buyers at the heights were going to need this information. Um, And because I had just spent the previous decade redeveloping the old 3M world headquarters site on the east side of St. Paul, I kind of knew what the next 10, 12 years of my career was going to look like, frankly. And I was going to be somewhat limited by really only touching that next 15 or maybe 20 buildings that got built at that site. Um, And the more I learned about the scale and the scope of what SIG does for these large portfolios nationally, uh, internationally now, we just picked up a 76-story tower in Busan, South Korea, uh, that we're doing LEED certification on. So uh, ability to impact far more buildings, far much more square footage with this kind of knowledge. I had started building these tools while I was at the port knowing that buyers were going to need these tools and uh, ultimately, you know, had to get infrastructure built, had to argue over sidewalk widths and turn lanes and, you know, 60 hours a week of doing that doesn't leave a lot of time for building advanced financial models. So uh, I spent my first three or four months at SIG with my head down building uh, and now have a net zero pro forma uh, that we share and use with our clients Uh, have what uh, we call an after-tax discounted cash flow evaluation model, uh, which is like a DCF and appraiser would use, but on an after-tax basis. And that allows us to show the Inflation Reduction Act tax benefits above the line, if you will, in key financial ratios, uh, internal rate of return, yield on cost, cash on cash, et cetera. Uh, the kinds of things that players in the marketplace need to see in order to believe in the impact of these tools. And the impact is staggering. Once you add up four, five, six of these green financing techniques, um, the impact is really going to revolutionize how
1: we build buildings and finance buildings. Okay. So, how long have you been with SIG now? I've been there five months. Um, okay.
0: You know, a lot of Client visits, a lot of travel the first two, three months, just getting to meet some of our uh more established clients and uh a lot of presentations on what these tools are. I think maybe five panels in the last two weeks here. Um twice at the AIA Minnesota conference last week. Uh that was uh that was a blast. Um yeah, so it's
1: it was head down for a few months
0: building this stuff and now trying to let the world know
1: about it. And you're based right here in the Twin Cities, but have clients all over the world, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm in the Twin Cities. Uh, Some of my colleagues are here. Uh, Asa, I mentioned, he's our Mm -hmm. national VP of sales. Uh, Jen Mahone leads our sustainability department. Uh, A few others here in town. A big presence in Atlanta, where we were founded, and Mm -hmm. then big presence on the West Coast and
1: East Coast. Okay. Okay. so who are your primary clients here? Are you primarily working with developers or uh, can you give me a sense of who, um, who's uh, benefiting from your expertise?
0: Yeah. Uh, we see a lot of interest from developers, especially in a tight, you know, debt and equity market, uh, finding new ways to unlock the capital stack is I think really appealing to them. Um, a lot of design firms from MEP firms to architects are trying to figure out, you know, their clients want to know, uh, Hey, what do you, you, what do you guys know about this green finance stuff? And they're probably not in a good place to walk them through it. Um, and so the design firms are finding, uh, really, I think some advantages some competitive advantages to having a green finance person on their design team. Um, The session at AIA last week was with some architects, and it really was about leveraging ESG expertise as architects. And how do architects go from, and designers generally, go from being just responsible for designing the thing to really being seen more as an advisor uh, that can help developers, portfolios, tenants uh, really maximize their real estate strategy? Um, So, uh, portfolio clients. we just did our first REC uh, and carbon offset purchase for one of our portfolio clients, um, big presence down in Charlotte on a 500 acre site. Um, the, you know, the green financing stuff is what I uh, really brought to SIG and wanted to know if we could stand up at a whole department around it. And in turn, they said, that's great. Yep. We we believe in it. We believe in you. Um but we also and we also want you to stand up a rec and carbon offset business. Uh, so we've partnered with STX out in New York City. STX is the world's largest provider of environmental commodities, meaning recs or EACs, if you want to call them that, or carbon offsets. Um and so now we can go directly to STX rather than through two or three layers of middle people and cut out a bunch of markup
1: and really probably have some of the best rec and offset pricing in the marketplace Okay. Well, you kind of alluded to the fact that we're seeing some real challenges in the capital markets now and the higher interest rates, et cetera. You know, amid that environment, are you seeing more interest in green financing? Absolutely. Uh, There's really a a whole universe
0: of factors that are pushing us towards decarbonization as an economy, as a society, and green finance is how we you know, implement decarbonization in the built environment. Um, you know, we're seeing popular sentiment uh, at all time highs to do something about climate change. The Pew Research poll, poll that came out around Earth Day, the number that stuck out at me was 71% of respondents across the political spectrum, agreed that we need to do something about climate change. You know, what we do and how we do it and who pays for it. I'm sure there are a lot of different opinions, but uh, popular sentiment is there. The climate science uh, is so clear. Uh, we understand it very well, uh, what's happening with the ice and the water and the atmosphere. Uh, environmental and racial justice is pushing us to decarbonize as we realize more and more that those who probably have had the least hand in creating climate change are most impacted by it. Uh, the technologies are driving. Um, a couple of years ago now, I was at the Getting to Zero conference out in New York City. I met a new colleague and she explained she works in IT and she's developing blockchain technology for kilowatt hours. So every kilowatt hour ostensibly will have its unique you know, serial number. Um, and that allows you to do two, two things. Uh, it allows you to know the provenance of every kilowatt hour. How green is that kilowatt hour? Do I want a brown kilowatt hour? Um, and to price it and monetize it. Uh, so her comment was you know, we have and will have even millions more electric vehicles driving around the country. And those batteries can be an extended part of the grid with what's known as vehicle to grid uh, charging. And so it, her comment was, you know, five years from now, your side hustle might be you get a ping on your phone. Uh, click here to sell $40 of electricity out of your battery back to the grid because it's peaking and we need it. Um, so the technology, you know, the solar panels we put uh, up today are 30 percent more efficient than the ones we put on my church in South Minneapolis 10, 12 years ago. Uh, the technology is driving these changes. The ESG investor class uh, internationally is driving these changes. And I know you hear uh, there is probably some good uh, rationale to be concerned about ESG and greenwashing. Um, but you also hear of, you know, folks making it political. And there's, I don't know, 20 states now that have directed their pension funds not to ingest, invest in ESG directed funds. Um Last time I added it up, it looked like about 500 billion nationally uh, that was being pulled out of that marketplace. Uh, But we know in 2024, the ESG investor marketplace is going to be over $3 trillion. So I don't think it's slowing down. It's not going away. Um, There's palpable risk in the marketplace, carbon transition risk. You know, really smart portfolio folks are modeling their portfolios against some of the more uh, aggressive local laws uh Boston, Birdo 2.0 in Boston uh Denver New York City Title 24 in California um you know there there could become a point where uh and and asset managers and risk managers are already there they're they're already way ahead of the regulators on this they know that there is asset risk as we transition away from fossil fuels and what is that carbon transition risk how do they price that risk um and the palpable risk of of climate of climate damage, uh, whether it's tornadoes, hurricanes, wildfires, you know it's it, it's so palpable but it, it's very real. Um, and political sentiment and regulation is really driving so all of these factors together, I call it the great alignment. and they've aligned these forces that are pushing our economy and the built environment to decarbonize. How do we unlock that? We use these great green financing tools. And there's more, you know, the Port Authority has one of the most successful PACE, Property Assessed Clean Energy Financing Programs in the country. Um, 350 deals, $400 million of some investment. Uh, I sat on our uh, internal credit committee and reviewed and approved, voted on those deals. Um, PACE is well-known, well-understood. The IRA is going to be a big hitter. Um, but I presented a couple weeks ago with the assistant commissioner for the Department of Commerce, Pete Wickoff who's in charge of standing up the new state green bank. Uh, he's got 45 millions of seed funds to start with. Uh, the state's got a hundred million dollars in matching grants to match federal money that's coming in. I mean, in 2024, the spigot is just getting turned on uh, and it's gonna unlock some really cool things in our economy that people have thought about for a long time, but never really penciled out. And now we're aligning market and economic forces behind the great
1: alignment. Hmm. Well, certainly a lot of exciting things happening there and a lot of different layers to this. And it seems like your work at the Port Authority, really, um, you, you're you used to taking on big, complex projects. Um, you mentioned the heights, for example. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. We're talking about a net zero community, right, that will have, what, a thousand housing units plus um you know, a million square feet of light industrial space. I believe uh, good-paying jobs. What what was it like working on a project like that with so many different partners and so much complexity? Um, can you give me a sense of that? Uh, it was
0: about all I could do. I mean, you you can really only run one of those at a time. <laughs> uh, I've done it several times now, and. You know you just you got to be on top of everything, from the environmental engineering to the traffic to the parks to the geologic and biologic features. Uh, I mean, it it really is staggering. Um, you know, I had a great team at the Port Authority that uh, you know some of the brightest economic development thinkers uh, in the state, if not the country, um some great finance people, you know, so i I really got the chance to stand on the shoulders of giants. And those that came before me uh, you know i i took uh john young's office uh you know he was a vp of development at the port authority uh now he's a broker uh with forte uh very successful industrial broker just saw him the other day actually um and so you know it's people like that when you walk in the door to a place and you just you've got 85 years of history in that organization. Of trying to figure out how to take down some of the most distressed real estate and turn it into something of value for the community. Um that that's that's a pretty good head start. Um, but uh did learn a lot, you know. Uh I was on the board of governors of several joint ventures with private sector uh developers, learned a lot from them. Uh, you know, I was a sustainability guy that kind of bumbled my way into commercial real estate finance and brokerage and um a licensed broker and here in Minnesota. And all of that, you know, it, it, you couldn't have written a story that got me to this sort of unicorn status today um, with so many different pieces, just having to sort of fall in place. So uh, the the Heights was really getting the master plan approved for the Heights and starting to transact the land. Uh, as I was leaving, I think the board meeting where they sort of wished me farewell and, Read a resolution and all that. Uh, that was where we approved, uh, what? We approved the Excel transaction, the first industrial transaction, uh, natural gas headquarters facility with no natural gas running to it because we're getting off fossil fuels, right? Uh, the uh, the house, master housing developer, lead housing developer, Sherman was announced at that same meeting. And so seeing, you know, the implementation just starting to churn Uh, was really rewarding. And having worked with a great team uh, of engineers and designers to figure out how, you know, the challenge was out there, you know, you should do this net zero, 112 acres, thousand housing units, a thousand living wage jobs, and a million square feet of industrial. How how would you do it? And we looked around the world and realized there wasn't a great playbook uh, for doing this at scale. And uh, Rick Carter from LHB, one of my mentors, uh, said to me after they had done this sort of feasibility look-see, you know, looked at maybe a hundred projects around the world that were claiming to do this. Um, and he said, the good news, you know, bad news and good news. The bad news is no one else has done this before. And the good news is no one else has done this before. We get to be the first. And so, uh, you know, it it's not going to be easy, um, you know, especially with industrial companies. Uh, I just actually had lunch with one of my clients. Uh, I have been hired by one of the buyers there already to help figure out this financial modeling and uh, wants to build a a net zero mass timber, 22,000 square foot industrial building. Nothing, that stuff doesn't just fall off the shelf. Um, And the interesting thing was uh, today, he was telling me he's got a new client. Um, They're making utility scale Think of it like a breaker box in your house, but a four megawatt breaker box, uh, utility scale uh, gears of sorts. And uh, he says they had to test it. The The client, they built it. They did all the electrical engineering, put all the components together, built the thing. And the client says they wanted a bench test of it before it was delivered. And, well, we don't have four megawatts of power coming into our rinky-dink little manufacturing facility. But, uh, out at the heights, he's going to need a boatload of electricity to test these super-sized components that they now are starting a new business around. So uh, there, there are going to be some challenges along the way. It's going to be an exciting ride, and I just I'm glad I could play my part and now, you know, kind of midlife reboot and go do consulting for some of the biggest players in the country. So I, I think there's a lot of stars aligning here. That's what I tell myself when I'm trying to sleep, anyway.
1: Yeah, great stuff. Well, you mentioned you're a sustainability guy at heart. Can you talk a little bit more about that and sort of how you got into your current line of work and, and what you studied in college and the whole works?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the I really didn't know what I wanted to do in school and uh, had a class at the U of M called American Everyday Life. I was like, I'm an American. I have an everyday life. I should be able to pass this class. (laughs) And in that class, we talked about all kinds of different socio-political, cultural stuff. Um, We learned about Yucca Mountain. And so this is mid-90s and uh, was in the press at the time that uh, the federal government wanted to bury a bunch of nuclear waste on indigenous land uh, on the desert. Because that seemed like a good idea. And So, you know, 1996, I hear the term environmental racism for the first time. What's that? That doesn't sound good. Um, And I started, I mean, I basically wrote my senior thesis on the Port Authority and on brownfields. And so I got out of there uh, with this knowledge of brownfield funding, brownfield regulatory stuff, and went and interned at the Failing Corridor Initiative. In the 90s, if you were in St. Paul, everybody knew about the Phelan Corridor Initiative, reclaiming some contaminated railroad tracks to build Phelan Boulevard, open up hundreds of acres for new housing and new businesses. And uh, the Port Authority was in the game. Uh, They were saying they were going to bring 2,000 jobs back to the neighborhood, which they have done. Uh, Three business centers. Uh, Last time I added it up, 2,200, 2,300 plus jobs. Um. So Family Corridor, I met probably everyone I would work with or work for in St. Paul uh, through the Family Corridor Initiative, Um, went uh, to the state of Minnesota, a state agency called uh, the Office of Environmental Assistance. And the OEA was the white hat uh, environmental folks at the state, Uh, didn't do regulatory stuff, did landfill planning and a lot of grants and technical assistance. And after I got in there, I realized uh, there was this group called the Minnesota Sustainable Communities Network. This is about three or four professionals that ran this network back when it was really cool to get on a list, an email listserv, basically a glorified email listserv, Minnesota Sustainable Communities Network. And through that network, it was a clearinghouse for everything about clean energy, energy efficiency, waste reduction. I mean... Every, uh, circular economy, eco-industrial development, stuff we're still talking about trying to figure out 25 years later. In the late 90s, the OEA was a hub, and there still are a cadre of professionals that came out of there, like myself, who got, you know, into some pretty advanced sustainability work, uh, probably before we called it sustainability. We were probably still calling it smart growth or something back then. Uh, oh. Went from there to uh, manage. Uh, I was project director for something called the Great Northern Corridor. Phalan mm-hmm. uh, corridor was on the east side. Great Northern Corridor is in the frog in Frogtown in the North End. Um, same idea. Uh, let's take all the great ideas from the Phalan corridor. Let's redeploy them on another big site. Uh, and so I corralled sixty some organizations uh, around making. A walkable urban neighborhood happen on some pretty nasty, contaminated uh, stuff. One of the sites uh, the port authority built a, on a brownfield there um, was the old Max and Steel foundry. And when I started at the Great Northern Corridor, my boss gave me a brick and she said, "Here you go. This is a brick. This is out of the smokestack from Great uh, from Maxon Steel at, at in the Great Northern Corridor." And so I had it on a shelf next to my computer monitor for five years while I was there. Well, John Young, uh, years later, would tell me, um, Monty, you realize that smokestack was radioactive when we tore that building down. <laughs> and you had that thing sitting next to your brain bucket for five years. Uh, for those on the podcast that can't see me, I'm as bald as a baby. So. <laughs>
1: I don't know if one and one equals two, but yeah, that's, uh, that's quite a story. Uh Hey, I, before, I, I can't let you go without asking you about some of your, uh, past and present hobbies. I noticed on your bio on the website, you've been involved in the, uh, local music community here. And, uh, well, most people settle for golf or pickleball. You were a uh, top 10 in the nation amateur vert skateboarder wow tell me about that
0: (laughs) uh yeah 17 18 years old i think i retired by the time i was 19 Uh, my knees and ankles were just shot um but i uh competed nationally you had to qualify locally then regionally make it to nationals i think you know when you say you were in the top 10 well that means you weren't in the top five (laughs) And I was uh eighth one year and tenth another year. Uh, mm-hmm. at my current colleagues know all this, and so they uh recently, you know, there's that cameo service where you can pay to get a celebrity to do a cameo. So in one of our all staff meetings, they had paid for Tony Hawk uh to come onto our cameo and shout me out by name. Uh which having skated with him, you know, 25 years ago, uh, was really cool. Uh, really cool thing. Uh, great, great group at SIG. Um, and yes, I do own a record label. I DJ, I produce, uh, right now we still do a monthly house music event, uh, in Northeast Minneapolis and first Friday of every month. And we're going on 12, almost 13 years now. So I've nice. always said that when, when we all had to use used to wear suits and ties, they used to say that's what allowed me to wear a suit and tie five days a week was knowing that I could go listen to some loud
1: music and see all my friends. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, it's a, a lot of stuff going on there, so good for you. <laughs> um, well, Monty, you've covered a lot of ground. Is there anything else you'd like to add before I let you go? It's It's, it's been a fun conversation, so... Um, you know i
0: just i want to encourage people to reach out and learn what they can about green finance the inflation reduction act is going to be a huge shot into our economy that i don't think people really understand the scale and scope of it um we now have tools to show people how to use it uh things that investment committees will recognize things that cfo's and lenders will recognize um still some education to do around all of that but uh, it's real and it's here. And, you know, the money machine turns on in 2024 when people start filing taxes for all the great stuff they did this year. And for a lot of building systems, it's 30, 40, 50 percent coupons. You know, it's a it's a fire
1: sale. Nice. Well, great. Well, thanks again for your time, Monty. Keep up the good work and uh, hopefully we can stay in touch and uh, chat more in the future about uh, All the the good things you're involved in, so.
0: Anytime, Brian. Really appreciate the interest and uh, hope you have a great Thanksgiving.
1: You as well. Thank you. Thanks.